I'd like to have my guests introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, definitely. So I'm Rebecca. I'm a Trinidadian-born graphic designer. Um, I currently live in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and I am the co-founder of Queer Design Club. Amazing. And what pronouns do you use? I am she, her. Perfect. Thank you. And what is Queer Design Club for people that don't know? Yeah, so Queer Design Club is really a passion project that I started about um, back in June with my co-founder, John, who is a gay man from San Francisco. Uh, And Queer Design Club is an online community for LGBTQ designers or people working adjacent to design that identify as LGBTQ to really promote and celebrate their their work um, at the intersection of design and queerness um, and kind of like, you know, meet other people, connect with each other, look for job advice, share opportunities. Um, we're building a creative community for, for queers that is all around the world because this this doesn't exist right now. Um, and even though we're a little bit limited to like the design world, of course, we need communities like this in all parts of, of our, our life, you know? I do know. I'm a, I'm a member myself and really appreciate having the community. Thank you. And how did you and John get connected and decide to, to do this together? And maybe tell us a little bit more about like the formation of it. Like, how did you choose the platforms and uh, how to share information and how to maintain a safe space? Yeah, so that was those were a lot of the same questions we had when we were starting out. Basically, I had this idea a couple of years ago when I was in college. So I went to a Catholic university in New York, St. John's, and I was looking for more quiz, A, and B, more, um, you know, more designers because our design program was very small. It was like eight, 10 people, maybe 12. So I was always wanting to connect with people within this community. And... I had this idea like, oh my God, like, wouldn't it be great if there was like a network of queer people? Like maybe we get together and have dinner once a month or something. I don't know. I, I wasn't sure how it was going to take form. And I, I, I sat with the idea for a while until recently when I was on Twitter and I saw that someone had founded a Twitter account for like LGBTQ people in design. And instantly I was like, oh my God, I want to be on that wave. <laughs> I... So yeah, I, I DM'd the account and I said, "Hey, like, this is really awesome. I have I've, I have a similar idea. Here's I, I'd be super like, if you want to have a conversation, please let's do it. Um, I have a deck of ideas put together." John messaged me back. I think maybe from his personal account, he was like, "Hey, I run that account. Um, you, we should get together and like talk about your ideas." So I had sent him this deck that I had made, very preliminary. It was literally just a list of things I wanted to do and people who I thought could do them for me. (laughs) I was like, okay, list of priorities, people I need to get in touch with. And from there, we kind of like, I had the name Queer Design Club, and he had a lot of the background in programming and um, like actually building a website on WordPress. So we had a few video meetings, video chats. We had never actually met in person, but we had been video chatting the whole time. And we built the thing. We were just like, okay, our goal is we want to create a website, a directory. There are a lot of directories out there right now with um, representation for for marginalized voices. So we were like, there's not one for queer people. We need to create uh, an aggregated list of queer creators so people can support us and support our work, especially around pride festivals and pride time. Like 
peak time to abuse queerness, really. So, you know, we had the intention of like, we want to make a difference. We want to reach people. I had recently been invited to a few other Slack communities and I was kind of like now starting to understand the Slack workspace outside of actual work. So we set that up um, and then John already had the Twitter account. So we just changed over the handle and we decided on the name Queer Design Club. And that's kind of how we got started. That's our origin story. It's a great it's a great origin story that you had like a full pitch deck ready to go. And yeah. <laughs> and you met the one person who wanted to do something very similar and had the complementary skills that you were looking for. <laughs> yeah, it was really random because so much of it was like in my head. I was like, oh, I have all these ideas. I don't have one time to materialize them. Or two, like, I don't know how to do all these things that I want to do. And I have no money to ask people to do them for me either. So it was really nice that I met John because he filled a lot of those spaces that I didn't have. I'm inside the community, so I I have a little bit more information than maybe some of our audience members. Will you talk a little bit about, like, how many people are in the community? What what does it look like? What is it? Uh, for a little bit more, um, what are some common interactions in there and maybe where you see it going? Yeah, of course. So right now we are clocking close to 500 people in our Slack, which is honestly crazy to me, considering there was a moment when John and I were like, you know, this might blow up or it might blow up in our face. (laughs) Like this could go really well or nobody will care. And since we launched in June, that's what, maybe like five, that's like five months. I I can't believe the growth that we've had. And a lot of that has come from Twitter. You know, we are very, both independently, very active people on Twitter. And and I would say that our Queer Design Club Twitter is probably the the biggest way that we reach people and and, and have them know about the space. But yeah, maintaining a safe space in Slack is really an interesting an interesting kind of position to be put in because, well, for one, you're an admin. So you have to have this like level of control over the whole thing. There's a lot of times where you have to set an example or, or kind of like facilitate conversations that may be difficult to have um, in a, in a new, in a space with a lot of different opinions. Um, And that's something that we always knew going in. So we actually, in the beginning, we had sought the advice of a few other community managers I don't know if you know Jordan Green. Jordan is a an amazing, amazing community advocate from, he lives in Seattle. And I had the opportunity to meet him this year in person, but he was someone that gave us a lot of really good and, and clear advice about like running community spaces, what you might expect, what you might run into, how to manage that. And that was something that we really had to think about was like, okay, how are we going to we're just two people and now we have a community of 500 people who are constantly talking. So how do we make sure that no one's feelings are getting hurt or things aren't being said that are hurtful? And the majority of the time, like, it's fine. I'd say we've probably had like a max of five incidents and they weren't really incidents where people were necessarily insulting each other or doing something super offensive it's usually minor, just like a, a difference of opinions or a miscommunication or something not as as bad as we had ever thought we would encounter. Well, it's it's nice that you can create a space that people feel comfortable uh, talking about the nuances of 
dialogue in our community? I think it's I think it's definitely needed. We need to be having those hard conversations and they're definitely not easy to moderate either. You know, you want to be able to stay neutral while sharing an opinion, but as an admin, there's kind of this awareness that you may always be imposing an opinion. So that's something that I've tried to be super conscious about. It's like there are conversations where I I want to contribute or I I, I want to say something, but I'm actually just going to leave it to the people having this conversation to to do that and have them figure it out. And if they need something, then let me know. But it's, the nice thing about QDC is that a lot of that conversation just happens organically. We don't have to actually moderate a lot of what's happening. And it's nice because people bring that to the table on their own. We don't, we, in the beginning, we kind of had to like, you know, kickstart the, the conversation a little bit like hey guys what what are you doing on this weekend or something and we still do a little bit of that but now people are we have active community members who just really reach out to the community on their own and I think that that's probably the, been the most exciting part for me is to see people get excited about the thing that we're building there's a Twitter account and an Instagram account where you highlight uh, members and the work they're doing and then there's also the website with directory of people that want to be out queer designers. Could you talk about those other facets other than the Slack uh, community? Totally. So we have basically those three platforms is the designer directory, the closed Slack group, and our, our social media. Well, we also have our, our, our long form media like the QDC blog or our email newsletters, which are coming soon. Yeah, so the directory is basically an independent listing of queer creators from all over the world and like with very diverse skill sets and industries. So when we ask people to sign up, we, we, you know, we ask them basic questions that we would put into anyone's profile. So, you know, your name, your pronouns, um, a little bit of a bio so that people understand who you are and what industries and skill sets you are offering to the community. And then we, we link out to your work and your social media. Um, and I've heard a lot of people are actually using the directory. We have close to 250 persons in there now, I believe. And a lot of people are using the directory to find queer creators, to find people to work on illustration projects. It's become a really nice resource for when, especially around like, you know, the uptick of pride campaigns. This weekend is actually pride in Buenos Aires. And I know that this, this one designer connected with a different designer to do a pride campaign here in BA. And it just make it really makes me happy when people can, when we realize the tool that we're building is actually helping people. So, so that, that's really nice. That that's amazing. And uh, happy pride. Thank you. Yeah. It's a double weekend, Halloween pride. Very exciting time for you. I think peak queer. <laughs> um, yeah. So then what else do we have? So we have the Slack and then, we have our social media. So Twitter and Instagram are two completely different games to play. I don't know if a lot of people realize that in the social media management world, but they're, they're different ballparks. So our, our Twitter is mostly like keeping up with what's happening, being able to contribute to actual conversation, you know, an easier platform to share work. And, and just it's a simple like retweet to share someone's new book or someone's idea or a really good take. So Twitter, we're a little bit more conversational. And I think you see more of queer design clubs, brand personality from, from both John and I a little bit on that. 
and we do our best to always, you know, have our, our followers be the content. So we'll retweet something you're doing or like this podcast that is created by one of our members. We try to keep keep up with that. Instagram is a little bit of a different game where it, it's more long, like long, the longevity of it is a little bit longer. So, you know, we do featured weekly members where we ask them to provide a photo of their work, um, a little quote about like a, a takeaway, either about the community or about their work or their life, but some piece of advice that they would want to give to someone else. And just a little bit about them. So our goal is really to use Instagram as the platform to have people be represented always. I think Instagram, like we use it so much as a tool for sharing what we're doing. And as a as a brand, Queer Design Club doesn't actually produce anything. So we wanted to, you know, use that platform to, to, to give other people a voice and share the work that other people are doing. The responses we've received from design Twitter and the design community is like, wow, this was needed. We needed to have this space. We needed to have a place to go. I've been looking for this, a space like this for forever. And it honestly like surprised me that this was an untapped market. Like I'm really surprised that John and I were the first to do this. You know, I was also looking for a space like this and maybe for any audience members that are also looking for a space like Queer Design Club, how could they also get involved? Queerdesign.club is our website. We got a great domain name. Thank you, John. (laughs) And yeah, you just sign up. You can be in our Slack or you can be in our directory or you can be in both. The, the, the approach we wanted to take when we when we started the club was like, you know, OK, we don't want to force anyone to converse. If they just want to be in the directory and they don't need the community component, that's totally fine. If they don't want to be publicly listed in a directory of queer people because maybe they're not out yet or they're not completely secure in, in, in their identity yet, you can just join the Slack. So we kind of left it open for people to decide, you know, where do you feel most comfortable and and, and how do you want to contribute? There are no regulations, no rules about about that, you know, pop in, pop out of the Slack, do do as you please. But we're always going to be there for you when you want to talk. I I love that. We're always going to be there for you is like such a nice, um, like reaffirming (laughs) statement. I mean, I think that's the nice thing is, you know, the the thing I've noticed in, in the QDC Slack is that we have a lot of our people, I would say, like are our regulars, um, and these are like active community members that are willing to contribute to a lot of conversations. They they always have good opinions, good advice, um, and they're they. I would say that they're people that we can rely on. If for some reason, God forbid, John and I were both to be not able to come to the computer, I would say that I can probably call on a few of them to be able to handle the state of affairs in the QDC Slack. But there are also people who just pop in and pop out, like, haven't seen you in months. Hey, what's up? Welcome back. Uh, got a job posting? Cool. Post that shit. <laughs> it's, really, it's really nice and just a, a very open environment. And that's something that I really, really, really appreciate. I appreciate it, too. So thank, thank you again for creating the space. I, I feel a little bit like it's a, it's a queer thing to do is that you know, we are, are are a generation of people who, and I say we are a generation, meaning the younger generation, the millennial queers, let's call them. We, we, we weren't directly involved in the, in the fight for LGBT rights. So I think that we're kind of experiencing the runoff of, of the success of those movements, you know, Stonewall, 
Marsha P. Johnson. I think that we're reaping that success. So what we really wanted to do was create a space where that can be continued, where people had a a place to respect the history of LGBTQ um, activism in the U.S., we we have we need to do a better job of like getting to know LGBTQ activism all around the world. Yeah, so there there are a lot of countries that you can't be openly queer, you can't identify a certain way. A lot of that comes from the Middle East and in and, and certain cultures. But you know, we have this privilege that we're working with being a, a US centric organization, even though we're open to the world. We have the privilege of having this space for people to communicate and, and to feel safe in. And that's something that we take really seriously. Like, like when we get emails from people that are like, hey, I can't be out in my country, but like I'm talking to a bunch of queer people that I've never had the opportunity to do this before because I would get killed in my country. That's something super important for us. So making sure that our community members are safe and are protected is something that, that we want to keep doing and we want to have that on across all of our platforms um we haven't had to deal with a lot of trolling or hate thankfully and actually surprisingly because we were totally prepared for that um but it's definitely it's definitely been a challenge to you know be a leader of someone of of a space where people are expecting you to be visible and it's funny because I'm not even completely out in my country. Like, I'm out to my family. I haven't directly told my extended family, but a lot of it comes from your culture. Like, people, depending on your cultural background, and this is especially true in, in, in communities of color, that you can't have, you're not experiencing the same, um, you're not having the same LGBTQ experience as other people. So... That was definitely something that was difficult for us to navigate, but but I think we're we're doing an okay job right now. We're we're working on reaching people in cultures where it's not okay to be open and you don't have that privilege. I think that's amazing. Like, um, you know, I it's my privilege that I didn't necessarily think that uh joining the community was um maybe the only way I could interact with other queer people. So that's really it's really nice that you're creating that for so many people where it, it might be their only outlet, especially, um, you know, at the intersection of being queer and being a designer, it's, mm-hmm. it's a smaller piece of a pie, you know, it's yeah. so it's, it's amazing that there is this unique space. Yeah. I, I feel like for me, at least as a designer, I think we're like trained to think critically in a way that kind of bleeds into other things that are not design. So like, it wasn't really until I until I started crit- thinking critically about design and how design works and, and and the things that design affects did I really start to see these intersections between queerness and design and how design can actually have the power to change perception. I mean, I know that seems like really basic as like that's what graphic design is, but design and and the way that we communicate with people really can change lives without sounding too like savory um no it's true it's true it's true and and i tell you that because like we received a message a few months ago from someone i'm gonna assume maybe this person was from the middle east but they sent a, a really heartfelt message that said like thank you thank you thank you for creating this space 
I'm not allowed to be publicly out in my country and I work for an LGBT organization and I could never have asked a designer here to create something for LGBTQ rights. So I connected with someone in the directory and, and got the work done. And that was a moment where John and I had to like step back and we were like, wow, like this, this project was born really from our needs and our wants to connect with other queer people in a very privileged world the US where, you know, this was totally like, we want to build this with the community, but like it really started from our, our, our needs to like connect with other people. And now the project has gotten to a point where it's not, it's not remotely about our needs anymore. It's, it's more of, we're just the facilitators. We're just the, the platform makers. We're not actually the creators of this community. Well, we are the creators of this community, but the community is really about the people inside it. And that's the thing that I love the most is we have so many unique voices, so many diverse voices that may not have some, have had somewhere to go if we didn't collectively just group them all together, (laughs) be like, talk to each other. (laughs) So I think that that is something that I, I would acknowledge is probably our biggest success is when we start to get messages from the community. That's like, you know, it's really not about us anymore. It's not about the people at the forefront. Of course, we're going to do everything that we can to maintain and, and, and keep that space being safe and sacred. But the community is what we put into it. And, and we're already seeing the benefits of what we're getting out. To switch gears just a little bit, not not too far. We'll come back for sure uh, to the same topic. But um, what what's some advice that you have for a, a queer person that is just breaking into the design industry? My queer advice would be go for it. Like be your full, full, true and complete self. I think as queer people, we kind of have this awareness that we're not the same as heterosexual people. Obviously we have that awareness, but it it can be, it can be hard to go into a workplace and feel like you're the only queer there. And you might be the only queer, you might be the only lesbian, you might be the only bi person. How does that make you feel on a daily basis? I think something that we learned was that a lot of people feel like they have to downplay themselves to, to fit into a culture at work or to fit in so that their coworkers will like them. And I think that that is a very, very valid feeling, but it will hurt you in the end. Because if you're not being your true self, if you're not being completely who you are, you're never going to feel comfortable in that workplace. You're never going to feel comfortable in that job. And that can lead to like you know insecurity later down the line. So if I had a piece of queer advice, I would say, be yourself always. People will love you for it or hate you for it. And you don't want to work at a company that's not going to accept you for 100% who you are. That's, I mean, that's a solid one that I think is applicable to everybody. And speaking of everybody, what do you, uh, what advice do you have for um, a queer person that's a more senior designer that's been in the industry for a long time? I would say open doors, you know, you, as a, as a designer who has, has made it to the point in their career where you can a hire people or b be considered a mentor or, or a a pioneer in your, your field or your, your industry of design, be, be, be a person that people can reach out to. I, I, and I, I say this with caution because I know that there are a lot of people who, do reach out to, to to prominent figures in design and say, like, I want to grab a coffee. I want advice. I want to know how to be like you. So I think that if you're a senior designer, you should really be 
opening doors for people. And, and, and Twitter does a really great job of like showing us who are the people that are leading the design world. And we may not know those people, but, but a platform like Twitter makes it super accessible. So I know a lot of people like, for example, Eric, who really recently made a statement on Twitter, like, I'm not employed right now. I want to grab coffee with all of you, but I'm not in the right mental headspace to really contribute to you. So give me a couple months. Let me, you know, realign my life and then I'll be down to start getting coffee with students and giving advice. And I think that that's a really clear and transparent way to, you know, to tell people like, while I think senior designers should be mentoring and opening doors and like helping younger junior designers grow and level up and, and, and checking in with them. A, it's not a it's not a responsibility. They don't owe us anything. It's totally on their own time to do that. And and I I want the junior designer community to know that you have to respect people's time like that. Like if he doesn't want to get a coffee with you, it's not because he thinks you suck. It's probably because he's really busy and and has a lot of things going on and might get back to you in a few months. They know people people who get angry when when their idols don't respond to their DMs, but those people are people too. So I think as a senior designer, like do your best, like contribute where you can give back to your community, but also like be guarded around your mental health because people will drain you. <laughs> what advice do you have for like allies that are senior designers that are, that are maybe not uh, affiliated with the queer community at all, but um, you know, maybe they have a direct report or two that are, uh, that are queer identified. Allies are great people. I think that allies need to do the work of keeping themselves abreast and educated with the LGBT community so that they can be better allies to contribute to what's happening. When I say that, I mean, be aware of other people's pronouns, be aware of the many different types of gender identity and and, and really listen when someone is saying like, hey, I don't feel comfortable in in this space, or I was made uncomfortable by these actions. Like, those aren't just vapid thoughts. This person was really affected. So I'd say, if you are an ally, and you really want to support the community, like show that support in, in actionable ways, you know, check in with them, use their correct pronouns, give them options in the workplace. If they say, I really would like a gender neutral bathroom, fight for that gender neutral bathroom. Like, you know, don't just be a vapid supporter of like, oh, I like you. And yeah, you're gay. No, it's no big deal. Like, no, like actually show them that 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 you're on their side and do things that would benefit them. What are your tips for fighting and resisting the patriarchy, white supremacy, racism, sexism, queerphobia, transphobia, homophobia, all the phobias and isms that uh, we constantly have to grapple with today, specifically in our industry. I'd, I'd like to talk about that if uh, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Number one, I'd say stay away from Donald Trump. He, Donald Trump is the number one person that is spewing a lot of this 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 hate and this rhetoric that is just not it's not correct. It's misinformation and it's it's not ideal. It doesn't help people. You know, he's really hurting people's lives with with the trans military ban with the muslim ban with what's happening down in the border i think that you know that's an important thing to notice like really and and this is obviously just on the surface level but like really don't support donald trump i i i have this thing where i i try to vote with my dollars that's something i've been trying to do recently and and stay away from corporations that inevitably fund the trump campaign for example, um, SoulCycle and that whole 
debacle with the the guy who was uh, raising the, the money for Trump's campaign, and he owns like almost every single company in, in the U.S. market. That was really tough. But I think that while it seems like a very minor contribution that you can do, it really, really benefits in the long run because if we actually vote with our dollars and use our our capital to make a difference people owners and business owners will actually see like okay we can't be associated with this because it hurts our revenue and that sucks that everything is like tied to this bottom line of money but that's what i've realized in the last four years is like yeah even though we want to think people are going to be good people out of intent a lot of everything is still driven by capitalism so vote with your dollars don't support um, organizations that are contributing to the trump campaign in design specifically that I'm calling out Sticker Mule. So we wanted to get some stickers printed for QDC. We found out that Sticker Mule, who is actually the cheapest retailer of online stickers, is a Trump supporter. So at that point, we were kind of like, oh shit, like we want to get stickers printed for cheap. Yes, very true. But we don't want to be giving this guy $200 more than, than he needs to have. You know, He's hurting our community, so we're not going to stand for that. And I think that those are simple minor decisions that you can make. Just making yourself aware of, of what's happening in the world and, and who's supporting what, I think is, is a really good way to start. And then when we get to the design community specifically, design Twitter is a, is a fucking mess. <laughs> I think that there are a few points here. One, everyone has different of opinions and that's that's fine. I think that we need to be able to have better conversations around how design is inherently political um, and how our actions actually play into those those politics. I think a big example that we can probably both talk about is is the Facebook news release and, and that whole design Twitter drama. I think that the thing is, one, Twitter is a platform where you're allowed to have conversations. And I think people try to skirt around that that like ability to have a nuanced conversation on Twitter because they just don't want to do it in such a public facing forum. So that's the first thing I'll say is like, if you have certain values, just own up to them. Just, just say what you have to say. So people can, you know, they know what they're working with. So I think that part of it is like, people don't want to start conflict because a, they know that they're probably in a minority opinion and B because they probably know they will get roasted. So those are one of the two things. The second thing is that design is always going to be political. Like that's just the nature of our industry. We're we're always going to be creating something that has good and bad effects. And I think that we have to as designers own up to that responsibility. So in the whole design Twitter debate, I definitely understand someone saying like this product that you created is not good and it's going to harm people in the this is specifically in the case of Facebook news and the Breitbart partnership the take that I didn't like was when someone was like you shouldn't be proud of your work because I think as designers we've all won in a workplace like Facebook it's probably a situation where you can raise flags and say hey I don't think Breitbart should be a trusted partner hey Breitbart is spreading disinformation and, and fake news. And I think that it's a very noble stance to be able to put your hand up and say, I don't agree with this. But the reality is those desi- those decisions don't come from the, the everyday individual contributor designers like you and I. 
those decisions are made, being made on a top executive level and again probably tied to a bottom line so for me to 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 kind of make a blanket statement of like you shouldn't be proud of your work if you worked on this app you shouldn't work at facebook or you shouldn't work at at, at uh google if you work on products that that aren't good inherently i think that we're not accounting for the communities that don't really have a choice like that in itself is a pretty privileged statement to be able to say like if you work at facebook you shouldn't because a lot of people who work at facebook i think almost 30% of facebook's workforce is on an h1b visa and i don't know if a lot of people know this but when you're on an h1b visa you can't actually change your employer or you lose your visa it's it's to transfer employers is very difficult so for one maybe a lot of the people who actually worked on this product didn't even want to work on it, you know. The second thing is, haven't we all been designers where we we put our hands up and say something and then we just kind of get shit on by the people making the decision? So you're like, "Hey, I don't think this is a good idea." And they're well, "Well, good thing this decision doesn't concern you. Just do the work." I mean, it's a little bit risky to 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 take a stance and maybe lose your job. And I think that that's pretty noble if you want to do that. But a lot of people don't have the the privilege or opportunity to to lose their job like that, you know. They and this is especially true of people of color within tech. I think that the debate that we saw, a lot of privileged white people were making statements about like, you know, if you work at Facebook, you can get a job anywhere else. That's not true for people of color. You know, you don't know how long it took them to get their foot in the door in the tech world anyway. People of color are still a minority in tech and continue to be and will continue to be until we actually change the the hiring process and the way we're thinking about how the the the, the demographic of of the design community. I think I could have like a 5-hour podcast episode just on this particular design Twitter beef and on Facebook news, but I think what you touched on so well is is that the conversation very quickly revealed both conscious and unconscious racism and classism and privilege and, and biases of of people in the design community really quickly and i i think like it's important to talk about all those things, but it did really detract from the conversation of what Facebook news was doing and what the responsibility of the employees that work at Facebook across the board with power without power. But yeah, all of these biases were involved and people is it was sort of like people were bottling those up and they all came out at once. And it really did detract from the conversation to the point of we, we never really had the conversation we should have had. So I, I totally agree. And I think that that's part of the problem with, with having these, these difficult discussions on Twitter. It's like so easily the conversation has shifted and someone else makes a, a, a one-liner take and you're like, haha, yeah, that's true. I'm going to jump on that bandwagon. And then someone else said something, you're like, I'm going to jump on that bandwagon. So I think like, I really appreciate Twitter first as a platform to discuss. And I think like this is a really good starting point for having these difficult conversations in the design world. But I think that we go off topic so quickly that we can't actually stay tied to the the, the principal question. And, and this comes back to my advice is like listening, just doing listening to what other people have to say that is not your 
opinion that is not your situation. You will learn a lot if you just listen. And and I can give you some great people to listen to on Twitter that are are activists in the in the marginalized communities. Tatiana Mack. They are a great advocate for accessibility, ethics and design, accountability, social justice. Tatiana is not afraid to say what needs to be said. And I really, really, really admire that about them. I think that they are a champion and they have faced a lot of criticism for it. Um, they had to take a Twitter break because they were being so trolled and, and experiencing so much hate on the platform. But I really, 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 really respect their their voice and, and their presence on Twitter. I personally have benefited from a lot of their wisdom. And there are a lot of people that I can I can list. Amelie Lamont, Mina Markham, um, you know, Christy Tillman. There are a lot of voices that we need to be listening to, especially from, from communities of color. And I think that a lot of the white tech bros from, from Silicon Valley kind of take their place on the podium. I have a very similar list of people to recommend so that I will link all of them in the show notes because I completely agree. I follow all of them on Twitter and really recommend uh, their voices. Even as a person of color, I've learned a lot about them because I'm I'm pretty much probably what they would call a light-skinned person of color. And then there are a lot of dark-skinned people uh, per- people of color on the platform. And that's a totally different experience of itself. Like when you're sort of white passing, it's very different experience from people who are really dark skin and clearly not. And those are some of the, even the little nuances in communities of color, like, you know, colorism. It's a, it's, it's a huge topic in, in, in communities of color where people are like, Oh, like light skin is better. Dark skin is better. No, like, Okay, neither is better than the other. This is not a competition. We should all be valuing each other equally because we're all being marginalized. So I think that, that that's something interesting is like I've learned a lot from from the experiences that people like Amelie and, and Mina Markham are, are, are having um, and from what they've shared publicly with us. I don't even know their private experiences, but it's been so beneficial to, to understand where those people are coming from, because even though I'm a person of color, I'm not in that same boat with them either. So I think that really just doing some deep active listening is the only place is the only way that you can be, be better. You can, you can start to see other people's perspectives. You can understand. And, and that's, that's really important to, 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 to build that empathy for other communities. You're full of excellent advice. Thank you so much for sharing with this audience. <laughs> I I believe that everyone should get paid for their time. So on this show, um, we will eventually, hopefully, cross your fingers, have advertisers or sponsors, and we share those profits with all of our guests on the show. Outside of that, are there other ways that listeners can support you directly? Follow Queer Design Club. Go go to Queer Design Club. I would say donate to some LGBTQ organizations. Donate to the ACLU. They're doing good work to fight Donald Trump. Vote with your dollars, people. Don't don't give them to me. Give them to to organizations that really need them. The the last thing that I would say is about a very exciting initiative that we have at Queer Design Club right now. So basically, John and I launched the Queer Design Club, uh, account as a way to really understand better the, the, the LGBTQ community in design, specifically. So we, at Queer Design Club, you know, we don't, in the beginning, we weren't asking people for demographics. We just wanted to have their persons. 
And then we kind of realized John did an event and people were like, well, what's the makeup of your, of your community? And we, we actually genuinely didn't know. So it started, it got us thinking on, oh, maybe we can make like a little survey for our, our, our 100, 200 people in our Slack. And, you know, we can report on, on, on the demographics. And that evolved into like, you know what, why don't we survey all the, the queer people in design? The AIGA design census, which is annual, really only asks people one question about LGBTQ. And that question is, do you identify as LGBTQ? The, the, the data they collect doesn't specifically give us any information about the actual LGBTQ community within design. In the AIGA survey, only 15% of people identified LGBTQ somewhere along the spectrum, but we wanted to know more about them. You know, we wanted to know, okay, what is the, the, the racial demographic of this queer community? How much are they making? Are queer people making less money than non-queer people? Are queer people being supported by initiatives in, in their workplace? Are there policies that protect them from sexual harassment or homophobia? Those were all questions that we were interested in and we had no data about, and we couldn't actually find any survey data about it either. So we came up with the Queer Design Count. It's uh, an industry-wide survey, and we really, really are trying to get deeper insights into the experience of LGBTQ people so that we can use that to build a more inclusive field. It's going to be open source data, so I would love everyone to use that to start building products that, that help the community in whatever way that may be. But this information is super, super important for us to understand our, our people better and, and know what we need to do. And we've already seen some of that preliminary data. We have a month to go. It's open until November 30th, 2019. So we're starting now to see some of that preliminary data. And, and the results are interesting. And I can't wait to share them and, and, and share them publicly. And we're, I'm sure we're going to do a, a write-up about what we found. It's a big initiative for us. We're very excited. Um, we, we can't wait to see the final results and, and, and share that with the world. But... Yeah, so far, I would encourage everyone, if you are LGBTQ in design, please take the survey. It's about 15 minutes long, max. But it, it's super important, and I think it's going to have a real impact about the way that we, we, we consider LGBTQ people in design. The link to take the count will be in the show notes as well. And I'm also really excited to see those results. Yeah, queerdesign.club slash count. And where is the best place for people to find you? Uh, to find me personally, so I'm Becky Brooker on Twitter, B-E-C-K-Y Brooker, and Becca, I think I'm Becca Brooker on Instagram. Yeah, don't follow me. Follow Queer Design Club, please. Queer Design Club, at Queer Design Club on all platforms. Queerdesign.club is our domain. We promise you some exciting tweets. No, we don't. We don't promise anything. <laughs> I promise that they are exciting because I, uh, I enjoy them a lot. <laughs> I just want to I just want to stick one more thing in. Allies are welcome in our Slack and this has been like a point of contention among some people but it's it's actually a non-point at this point but you know allies are welcome in our Slack and why why is that? That was a very difficult decision for John and I to make but ultimately we had to to wrestle with the fact that okay allies are a the majority and b they are the people that are pretty much gatekeeping the queer community, right? So if we want to have access to more job opportunities, to more 
uh, freelance gigs and stuff, we need to tap into to some of that 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 ally community and have them be like, hey, we're looking for people or we're looking for this. And we also want to provide a space for allies to feel like they can better understand us. You know, we have a few allies in the chat now, and I think that they contribute greatly to saying like, oh, I didn't know this. Oh, okay. I'm going to be more aware of this thing. Um, and we actually have a topic, uh, a, a channel that's dedicated to allies to to make it a little bit easier for allies to understand what we need from them and, and why it's important for us to be connected to each other. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on Bessier podcast, Rebecca. Yeah, I really, really, really enjoyed it. This was very fun. Um, and thank you for having this podcast. This is great.